Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here are your hosts, editor Christian Berg and associate editor Mark Demko. All right, welcome back to the Bow Hunting Podcast. Mr. Demko, boy, is this a great, great episode this week. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you and I were talking a couple of weeks ago about the the growing trend toward um, banding trail cams across the country. It started out west with states like Arizona and Utah. And this spring, Kansas enacted a band on its public lands. And then surprisingly, perhaps even shockingly to us, Delaware here in the East Coast um, put a public land ban for trail cam use in place uh, back at the beginning of June, and it really caught our attention. And so uh, we have uh, a really great lineup of guests on this episode. And we have um, Stuart Schrag, who's the Assistant Secretary with Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks, and Jason Deal, who's the Region 3 Public Lands uh, Regional Supervisor in Kansas. Um, we have Rob Hostler, who's with the Delaware Department of Natural Resources and Environmental Controls, a wildlife section. He's the administrator there. And of course, we have our good friend, um, writer for Peterson's Bow Hunting and avid public lands deer and elk hunter, Jace Bowserman. So it's a we have a really diverse panel here to talk about. Absolutely. This topic. And, and you know, it's funny because we're recording this intro after we finished our conversation. We so we can tell everybody who's listening right now, this is fascinating stuff. First of all, just the fact that you can't use trail cameras on public land in a growing number of states these days is is kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. If you went back 10 years, you know, few people would have ever predicted that. And just so many considerations, you know, uh, there's some serious concerns on the part of the agencies, problems that they're trying to address. Um, obviously, some concerns as public land hunters, you know, and Jace did a tremendous job of of bringing that out. And, and then there's the whole enforcement issue. And man, there was a lot that we unpacked. We spent, you know, the better part of an hour talking about that and we could have doubled it easily. So if you use trail cameras and honestly, Mark, what bow hunter doesn't, you know, you've got a pile of them. I've got a pile of them. Uh, this ought to be of interest to any bow hunter out there because probably 90 plus percent of serious bow hunters nowadays are using more than one trail camera. And uh, it's it's something that you need to have on your radar when it comes to these regulations. Yeah, totally agree. It's a, it's a complex issue. And I'm sure it's something we're going to hear more and more about uh, with each passing year because the technology in the cameras and what they can do and the cellular capabilities and things like that, it just continues to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of cameras, that just brings me to thoughts of our sponsor, Mark. And we want to remind everyone that the Bow Hunting Podcast is brought to you by the good people at Lancaster Archery Supply. For all your bow hunting needs, including trail cameras, visit LancasterArchery.com. They've got the gear, they've got the knowledge, they've got the passion. Folks, enjoy our conversation about trail camera bands and everything that goes with it. Thanks so much for checking out the Bow Hunting Podcast. All right, so I'm really excited that everybody is here, Mark. And I just want to start out by asking Robert um, about this, because to me, you know, I think both of us were kind of shocked when we realized that Delaware had become the latest state to put a trail camera ban in. And I'm just going to throw it to you, Robert. Talk to us about the regulation that you guys have put in place. And, and how did you arrive at this point of actually taking a step that, you know, frankly, to me, at least at first glance, not knowing anything about how you got here, it seems kind of extreme because you're an outlier, at least at this point, in our part of the country. So, so this was a a two-year process. Uh, we were receiving some complaints from both the other public land users, other hunters, and our regional managers. And so we started looking into how much camera use was on our state wildlife areas, which is our predominant hunting area within the state of Delaware. Uh, remember, we're a small state, and we only have uh, about 140,000 acres of public land that's open to hunting. At least portions of that is open to hunting. 
the largest portion is our state wildlife areas, which comprises about 68,000 acres. So we did a survey of our hunters to find out what percentage are using trail cameras, how many trail cameras, and then also we implemented a trail camera registration program where you could go online free and just identify, get an individual identification number to put on your camera. So we so we had an idea of who was using the areas, and um, that also helped provide some additional information on how much camera use. So you know we we debated about this for a good two years, and you know we're, we're not saying that you know trail cameras aren't a technological advancement in hunting. They derive a lot of recreational pleasure to hunting's and some to hunting, and some hunters can use them very effectively, but. What we found out is we had one camera for every 36 acres of our state wildlife area. And so it was getting pretty hard for you not to be on a portion of the wildlife area without a camera on you. We also had problems with cameras being used in areas they shouldn't be used, like in refuges and safety zones. We had problems from some of our non-hunters that were concerned about them being on cameras. And so at the end of the day, we finally made a decision we work collaboratively with our state forests, who also allow public hunting, our state parks, which allow limited hunting, and then our federal, we have two federal refuges. All of them do not now allow trail camera use on their public lands. We did not make any change on private land. It was only on public land. And it was, you know, um, a very different scenario on public lands than, than on private land. So that's how we came about that decision. Yeah, so that's really interesting. How many residents in Delaware? A couple million? Just over a million. We have about just shy of 19,000 active hunters. So 30-some percent of that, 37% of hunt on public land. So for every trail camera, you on average have two hunters in that same zone as the trail camera. So let's face it, nobody likes to be on camera if they're trying to enjoy themselves recreating and so that was one of the problems we we had. That's where it started was, you know, you, average hunter was using 2.3 cameras. And so you go into area and, you know, some hunters would have way more than that. And it was more or less uh, some hunters fe felt that by the use of the cameras, they were being restricted from some of the areas because, you know, somebody got ahead of them and put all these cameras out. So that was right. considered. It was kind of a quality issue for some of our hunters. And and the thing is, and I, you know, and I want to get to the Kansas guys, but just to sort of wrap up the introduction for Delaware, again, you guys are a little different because you also, you've got that many people, a million people, but only 19,000 hunters. And like you said, safety zones. So here you're talking about possibly people are setting cameras up close to people's homes, areas where they're not supposed to be hunting anyway. So it's not even just a conflict within the hunting community, but you're running into a conflict with maybe uh, neighboring landowners and people who are recreating on those properties who may not be hunting at all. And again, that's going to be a lot different than what you might see in Kansas or Colorado, somewhere where like Jace is going, where he may be hiking seven or eight miles from a trailhead and putting a camera back there. It's very different than you're in Delaware. Most of those cameras are probably within a few hundred yards of a road exactly yeah so all right so so with that mark uh why don't you uh toss it over to the guys from kansas and uh, i don't know who you want to start with yeah i think we'll start with uh Stuart. you know you guys put the ban in back in i think the spring uh using it on your uh walk-in hunting areas your uh wildlife management areas and so why don't you talk a little bit about the process that you went through? And then, you know, I, I was curious, uh, as you were developing this process to prohibit the use of uh, trail cams on public land, what kind of feedback did you get from the public? Like, was it mixed? Did you get a lot of concerns from hunters? It's, I'm sure that was a bit of a contentious process. Yeah, so thanks for, first of all, for allowing Jason and I to come on here today. Um, and unfortunately, Robert stole a lot of my thunder because we had the same issues that Delaware had. So let me give you kind of a rundown of where, how we got to the point of where we did. Um, like Delaware, you know, Kansas, you know, we only have 1.9% of our total land areas in public, public land. What Wildlife and Parks has, what's open to hunting is even a, a fraction of that. So we rank 49th in the nation for the amount of the public land that we have in Kansas. So keep that in mind, um, very small portion. Um, we've been fighting issues of pressure and overcrowding on our public hunting areas. Um, and we really saw that 
uh, happened or increased during the COVID era where everybody wasn't at work. So they got out and hunted and Kansas has got an influx um, of, of non, more non-residents and people, even local, more local residents were out hunting too. So, um, you know, we, we've, we're seeing more and more private land leased out for, for deer hunting and turkey hunting and other things like that, or private lands being purchased by non-residents. So, you know, we, we used to have leftover deer permits in our non-resident draw that went away five, six years ago. And now, we allot just under 23,000 non-resident deer permits. We're getting over 30,000 applicants now. So, you know, having said what I just did, those people that may had a, a private piece of property to hunt on before that did draw a tag don't have that place anymore. The local residents that used to have private land to hunt on don't have a place to hunt anymore. So the push is towards public land. So we've just seen a steady increase in our pressure and, and an overcrowding issue on our public lands. And again, we're talking 300,000 acres, uh, terrestrial acres that Wildlife and Parks manages for public hunting. Um, there's other federal properties, county properties, state properties that don't allow hunting. So, uh, again, like Delaware, a very small portion. Um, so what, we, what we've started seeing was these public properties just getting inundated with trail cameras like, like what Delaware saw. I mean, you could walk into a small tract where we're looking for deer and you could look closely and see multiple cameras in one location. So what was happening was people were basically monopolizing certain tracts of, of our public hunting areas. And the people are like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to hunt here. Um, I have no privacy. Um, so that was part of it too. Um, we felt like, you know, as wildlife managers too, that with all these cameras being inundated on these properties that, you know, people were coming in and out constantly checking these cameras instead of the old school method of, going out checking for sign, deer trails, rubs, scrapes, and not going in and out as much. So we felt like there was excessive disturbance to wildlife too. Um, cell camera capable, you know, uh, or cell, cellular camera capable devices too are illegal in Kansas. So we were starting to see some of those. Um, that was already illegal because of, you know, that capability. So and our other component that like Delaware was talking about is our walk-in hunting area program. That's private land that we lease um, for public hunting. And so that those, that's still private property. And those properties were getting inundated with cameras too, which delved into the private property rights. You know, those landowners weren't comfortable with cameras being placed on their private properties. And a lot of times they were left year round, those cameras were. So that was part of the issue too. Um, we had complaints of, of cameras being used not just for hunting or scouting but to spy on other hunters to see who was using the same public properties um so a whole host of issues and, and we are multi-use properties as well too so we were hearing from our non-hunting community that hey we're not comfortable from this we we heard from some some women hunters who felt uncomfortable knowing that all these trail cameras were out there too so um and we also had a, a huge issue with baiting on our public properties and, and we prohibited baiting on, on our public wildlife areas years ago. And a lot of times bait stations, feeders were in the results of trail camera associated with those as well. So part of the mix too. Um, and then we get some people that complain that their, their trail cameras stolen. So we dealt with a lot of theft reports as well. So it, it was a pretty big laundry list of issues. And and I will say this too, staff-wise too, Fair Chase was part of the conversation too. Um, I feel like some some people are afraid to say that anymore, but Fair, Fair Chase should be considered in these conversations as well. And, and equal opportunity, you know, the North American model of wildlife conservation, we, you know, some people can't afford trail cameras. so. A laundry list of things. Um, I will say too that what we did, we didn't do a survey, but our commission regulatory process is pretty lengthy. So what we did, we we came up with staff recommendations, and in in January of 2022, we brought this forward, this proposal, this recommendation to our commission, and we have a basically we introduce a regulation or a proposal in a general discussion session of the commission process and then we have to workshop it several times 
throughout the year to make sure that we're getting the, the public input, the stakeholder input that we want. So we, we proposed it in January of 2022, workshopped it eight times throughout a year and a couple of months, and it finally went to a vote in March of 23 and passed. Unfortunately, we, we, we didn't hear much during that process. We've had a couple of complaints that, hey, don't do this. Um, really, everybody was pretty quiet about it until it passed. And then we got accused of trying to hide it, and we, we rushed it through the commission process in the dark of night and all that kind of stuff. And that was the furthest thing from the truth. We publicized it on our website. We published it in our annual hunting regulations. Like I said, we workshopped it eight times, um, but it wasn't until after the fact that we started hearing some some complaints that, hey, this we don't agree with this. So that's kind of where we're at right now, how we got to, to where we're at. And, and uh, so, yeah, that, that's it in a not so brief nutshell. Well, there's, you know, there's a lot to unpack here and I want to get in to some of the you know, things when it comes to penalties and enforcement and 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 all that stuff. But I want to kick it over to you, Jace, because, you know, we've heard from these guys and obviously there are some concerns, I think some legitimate concerns that they're trying to address. But I want to give you an opportunity as the voice of a, a public land hunter who relies on trail cameras as, you know, an important part of your strategy to maybe share some of your thoughts and and I'm sure that will lead us, you know, into some interesting areas of discussion. Yeah, thanks, Christian. And thank you guys so much. I appreciate I appreciate b- being able to be on and and visit about this a little bit and, you know, listen to listening to everybody talk. I mean, I, I, I hear a lot of, you know, what I hear everything that you guys are saying, I guess, from from a public land hunter standpoint, who's hunted Kansas a lot. I have not hunted. Um, I've not hunted Delaware, um, but I've hunted Kansas a lot. And you know, my experience on Kansas public land is as recent as last year. Um, I've been a lot of places um, on a lot of different public land tracks, and I've never run into a a single trail camera that I found. Um, So I've used I've used and set trail cameras myself, um, but I've never actually been in and found one um, where where I was like, oh, man, somebody's somebody's already in here, uh, things like that. So um, I guess for someone who is a public land hunter, I know you guys talked a little bit about, you know, how the leases and 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 things have come in. And I know Kansas is a like a big buck mecca. It's uber popular. It's been romanticized in magazines, outdoor TV, everything. Um, and I know you guys have some some giant deer. It's our, so it's our fault. Your Mark. fault, Christian. And it it really brings in an influx of, of 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 hunters, and that's where you see a lot of private. I'm seeing it here in Colorado, places that I used to be able to get on as a kid growing up here farming for these people, and now I can't get on there because money talks, and I understand that. So, well, when I get when I go to public land, I want to make sure that I have every tool. I'm looking at it from what tools do I need to help me be the most successful? And I do agree with, of course, the scouting, the, you know, the checking scrapes, going in, finding, you know, the trails, all of that stuff. But when somebody's coming, um, you know, several, several, maybe across the country, in my my case, it's not that far, but I want to be able to know that I have every tool at my disposal when I'm paying 500, I mean, your guys' tags in Kansas are extremely high right now, um, just like Colorado. I mean, we boosted everything up. We're making it a rich – I feel like we're pricing people out. I mean, that's another topic. But when I'm paying that amount of money for an out-of-state tag, I want to be able to come in and utilize every resource that I feel that I should have at my advantage to go in and help me be successful um, on the quality of deer that you know I, I came to Kansas for. And that's different expectations for, for different people. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, I'm kind of curious about, about that. Um, also I've, I've heard, uh, you know, from Delaware and Kansas, the mention of non-hunter concerns. And I, I understand that, I guess, to a degree, but if it's wildlife management areas, aren't those areas designed, weren't they designed for the hunter? And so I guess why is a non-hunter's opinion if they're allowed to have access to that land, great. But if it is for wildlife access, you know, a walk-in access hunting area to me says it was 
purchased by the state or leased by the state from the landowner for someone like myself to go in, do it right, go in and have walk-in access hunting. If I run into a non-hunter in there, I mean, one, that's, that's, I mean, are they paying to have to access those areas or can they just go on it because it's public land? And two, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure why their opinion would be valued, I guess, in that aspect um, when hunters are, you know, that that's just kind of seems, seems a little strange to me. And then I know like in Colorado right now, a lot of people don't know, um, you know, our wildlife commission board <laughs> of the 11 or 12 members on that board now, because of how they're appointed, so many of them are non-hunters. I mean, and that's, I mean, you can go on and watch the YouTube videos in Colorado of our commission and it'll, it'll scare you the stuff that's coming down the pipe. I mean, it's terrifying to me as a hunter in my state that makes billions of dollars off of its elk deer, its resources, hunters coming in. And then I see something as simple as a trail camera going away, which in essence it is. It's not like, it's not like the world's coming to an end, but in my opinion, it's like, okay, well, the trail camera went away. Well, what's next? It's it, what's next after that. What's next after that? I mean, those are those are the concerns from you know somebody on the outside looking in. I mean, I absolutely respect what you guys do. I know the processes that you guys go through. I know I I can't even imagine. I, I'm just speaking from you know a lowly bow hunter that likes to go and and hunt and use trail cameras and just am worried about the continually piling up of restrictions and new legislation coming and things like that, that, um, you know, could really affect hunting as a, as its future. So that's, that's my long-winded spiel, Christian. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot there, Jace. And, and, you know, I would just say <clears throat> to sum it up even really succinctly, as I was listening to you talk, and even when I went back to something Stuart said earlier, you know, not everyone can afford trail cameras and that's true. Although they're relatively inexpensive, I'll tell you what, a lot of people really can't afford, including you and I, Jason, that's hunting land, which I'd love to have. A I would love to have a slice. Which I, I will never it. have. And the thing that kind of rubs me the wrong way on some level about regulations like this, and again, I'm not saying it's just my opinion, right? I'm not saying it's the end all be all. And there are a lot of considerations that take in place, but you're telling that the haves who have their little piece of heaven that they can use all the trail cameras they want, but the working stiff who can only afford his tag and some gas to get over there doesn't get to use the tool that the guy who has gets to use. And I don't like that. I don't know what the answer is, but I don't like it. Now, I don't know who wants to jump in, but any one of you three gentlemen. I, I would three. I would agree with, with you on that, Christian. That's that's where some of my concern is coming in as well, is just because I'm like, man, I, I'll never in today's economy, especially be able to afford you don't pay me enough, Christian. Maybe if you paid me more, I could I could buy a piece of hunting land. But that's that's not in well, the, the car. The problem is, is I'm not getting Ever. paid enough either, buddy. I know. And these none of these state employees are probably oh, affording, I know. affording no. a hunting ranch either. <laughs> Ever will I be able to do that? So, you know, for me, it just does. It goes back to the fact that I want to be able to use, you know, if my buddy owns a slice in, in Kansas and, and he's being able to utilize every tool to his advantage. And let's say his place touches up to public land and touches up to, you know, where they're running cameras right on the border and things like that. Cause you know, then his knowledge is infinitely more than my knowledge. And he already has the private dirt and he already has everything set up exactly the way he wanted. it. And I may be hunting 200 yards on the other side of a fence. And I feel like that sets me at a, at, at a pretty serious disadvantage just because I can't utilize the same tools that he is just because I'm hunting public land rather than hunting private land. Well, I can I can respond to to some of that, and I want I want to give Jason an opportunity to to get on here and speak too. And that kind of it kind of correlates back to a, a huge conversation that was had at our commission meeting yesterday in regards to to baiting, baiting issues, you know, and some people bait, other people don't but other people bait because they feel like they have to, because they're not going to see any deer or whatever. Um, and a lot of what you said, Jace, we heard after the fact, unfortunately, we didn't hear those arguments during the, the, during the workshop commission process to the point where we got up to it being voted on. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know where you, where all you hunt on public lands. Is it mostly we are actually wildlife management areas? 
Um, most, mostly, mostly all mine is Weehaw and yeah. typically, typically Western Kansas. So I know like, yeah. And, and I'll speak to that. I'm not getting into, I'm not getting into the Mecca around Stafford Hutch, you know, right. I'm not out Eastern Kansas towards Topeka, that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm on the Western, I'm on the fringe of, you know, the fringe, I guess I would say of what is classified as, you know, the major whitetail areas. Right. I'm out where there's still some pronghorn, you know, some, you know, mule deer areas, things or mule deer, things like that. But, you know, I, I do understand what you're saying there too. Like we're at the same issue in Colorado. I mean, it, these things go through and everybody's really quiet about it until it goes through. And then everybody's after you guys, like you hit it, you did this, you did that. Whereas in Colorado, as, as hunters, we're not making ourselves aware because we're not willing to take the time to sit in on these commission meetings. Like I said, in Colorado, ours are available on YouTube. Anybody can go in there and watch those and then they can reach out, but everybody just is, well, it's not going to happen, you know, and a quiet voice becomes an agreeable voice. And then you guys come up with a decision and then everybody's ready to jump down, down your throat. So I, I totally get where you're coming from on that end of it. Cause I see it here all the time. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing we started doing during the COVID era is we went, you know, to live, live commission meetings to where people could could participate and we actually saw an increase in participation which was a great thing and we've kept that going but even even then we still weren't getting people you know chiming in on live stream but um i wanted to i asked if you hunted mostly weehaw versus actually wildlife management areas because there is there is kind of a distinct difference in what we're seeing um the inundation of trail cameras was mostly on our public wildlife management areas and not so much on the weehaw but then we're getting into the private landowner issues that I spoke about because um, all of our public land regulations that are valid for our public wildlife management areas are adopted on our Weehaw properties and that's all public land regulations. So it's it gets convoluted and messy if we try to separate them out. So just some background on that. Um, your comments about the, the non-consumptive users on our public areas that could be in a whole other separate podcast in itself because it's it is a, a growing issue um, and something that we're always discussing and talking about. And you know, it, it is you, you make some very valid points. You know, a lot of our properties with were purchased with federal aid um, under Pittman Robertson. Um, they're managed under those federal grant uh, operations and maintenance grants annually. Um, so we have, and we don't charge an access fee for non-consumptive users. That's That was discussed yesterday at the commission meeting too. And we have to be very careful around those conversations. More and more of these people are, are speaking up and what, you know, they're, they're public lands, they wanna be able to use them, but they also wanna contribute. But then the argument comes in, okay, the more they're allowed to pay in and contribute, do they have a stronger voice and it does it outcompete what the original intent of these properties were for. And so it, it's a huge conversation that's growing. And like I said, might be a worthy agenda for the, for another podcast, but I, I, say I, totally, I totally get where you're coming from, Jason. And so we have to balance that. Sure. You know, and I hate to say it, but sometimes things can get political too, that we oh, yeah. have to factor in. So yeah. Um, yeah. Sounds like a really good podcast in the future, Jace, on the whole future of the North American model of wildlife conservation as and as the population changes and, and hunter numbers dwindle, you know, how do we manage all the resources going forward? But again, that is kind of getting away from our topic for today. I wanted to throw it back to you, Robert. I'm curious as to whether you had any input at all from trail camera manufacturers or retailers saying, hey, you know, I sell a lot of cameras either because I make them or I buy them and I put them on the shelf at my archery shop or my Cabela's or whatever. And, and uh, you know, if you if you do this, you know, that's not going to be good for my bottom line. We actually didn't have anybody from the industry contact us regarding the ban on public lands. I think it's partially because of the small amount of cameras compared to our private lands. But um, I wanted to follow up on a couple of things that they said. Um, you know, the cost of these cameras and the advancement in these cameras has created part of the problem. It's getting so everybody could afford not just one, but many of them. 
And we had to also look where we would be five years from now with this technology getting better, getting less expensive. Um, and, you know, would we even have a higher density of cameras on our areas or a higher proportion of our hunters using them? So that's something we thought about. The public versus private um, issue came up in our discussions and, and really the issues that were brought up by both Delaware and Kansas on public land, most of them go away once you move it to private land because the private land issue really comes down to a fair chase issue. The um, private property uh, or the I can't hunt because I have a camera right on top of me. That disappears because you have a little bit more control on your private property. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, it was mentioned about land being bought out by non-residents or for that public, there's more pressure on our public lands. In Delaware, our problem is our private gun clubs are not being bought up by non-residents. They're being bought up by developers. So we have vinyl siding going up in those so, same areas. So the private hunters, are now being forced on the public land because of, of that issue. And Delaware is a state that actually does charge an access pass for our wildlife areas for non-hunters. Um, some that would be unheard of 30 years ago because the hunters were adamant about, we want, we want to have control of this land. We want to make sure that it's purchased by us, losing that opportunity. But what started to happen was even though the PR funds were were uh, phenomenal and still are phenomenal in terms of the amount of money states get. We were in Delaware having a problem with with achieving the match that we needed for those funds with a declining hunting base. I mean, we used to have 7% of our population were hunters, we're down to 2%. Um, on top of that, hunters that get beyond 65 no longer have to buy a hunting license in Delaware and that's where our cohort is shifting. So we started having a problem with revenue and we finally convinced the hunting population to allow us to create an access pass. Now, if you are a hunter, you get your access pass free. You already paid for it. Um, and so we charge an access pass that is close to the price of the resident hunting license. Um, not quite. And that would be if you want access on our state wildlife areas as a non-resident, as a non-hunter, you have to um, get that. So uh, that's something we've already started. Um, it's not a perfect model, um, but uh, it's something that we wanted to start. Uh, but what's amazing is 30 years ago, that would be unheard of. So, Robert, do you feel like since you implemented that, that you've gotten more voices from the non-hunting community wanting certain things on those public areas like they do have more of a say now? Not. No, I would say we haven't. We have tried to implement. You know, again, our proportion is so small of our hunters that we've tried to pro provide opportunities for wildlife viewing opportunities that we could use the PR funds for. Um, but we haven't been asked to, you know, at the same time, we finally allowed Sunday hunting, which we we got more pushback by. I used to be able to go bird watch on Sunday. Now I can't. But that has kind of worked worked itself out. So, you know, we, we try to balance the fact that, uh, let's face it, hunters are an extreme minority now. Um, and we're trying to balance that uh, with the the other public. So it is a, it is a very complicated topic and probably worthy of another podcast. But we haven't had that. What we expected to come, we haven't had. But we've only been implementing it for a little while, and I don't know how well it's enforced at this point. How many people are actually, uh, you know, not buying it? But for for now, things are good. Yeah, I think yeah. we're going to see see more and more like that. Pennsylvania went to something similar, Robert, just specifically for the use of the public shooting ranges on our game lands, because recreational shooting is probably a lot more popular than hunting in the world today. And so, yeah, they were inundated with an extreme pressure, just competition for bench space, you know, at the public shooting ranges. And they implemented that where if you don't have a hunting license, you've got to buy an annual range pass to be able to use those. And, and of course, again, yeah, another great topic. I hope we're keeping a mental notes on all this, Mark. We've got like lots of great podcast ideas from these folks today. Jace, I wanted to kick it back over to you because the, the idea of fair chase came up several times let's yeah. spend let's spend a little bit of time talking about this because when it comes to fair chase right and this is the thing me as the editor of bow hunting magazine i'm like everyone agrees that there's a line when it comes to the ethics of bow hunting 
Sure. There's not a single bow hunter on the face of the earth that wouldn't say, yeah, there's a line. The question right. is, where is the line? And then you can get into a big debate over who is the arbiter of all that is right and holy in bow hunting. Is it the Pope and Young Club? Is it Kansas Parks and Wildlife, Delaware, you know, Division of Wildlife? Or who Pennsylvania Game Commission, or is it you, the hunter? And you know, but you know, unless we're saying that trail cameras are just wrong, or maybe we're saying cellular cameras are wrong, you, you know, again, this these regulations, if it's not wrong for the guy on private land, you know, then you know, it comes back to some of the things you said. What what are your feelings on camera use, Jace, for you personally as a bow hunter? Where do you draw the line? And how does that play into what we're talking about today with these regulations of not being able to use them on public lands? Yeah, so that's that's good. Um, and I and I was I, when the fair chase came up, I was I was I wanted to talk about that a little bit too, because you know, I I take it back to something as simple as, you know, and I, and I revert a lot of things back to, you know, Colorado, just because that's what I'm familiar with. So I don't want to speak to a state that I'm not, you know, uberly familiar with, but, you know, for years in Colorado, you, you couldn't use a lighted knock um, on the end of your arrow. Um, it just was taboo. It, it was like, you know, that's crossing the line. And then all of a sudden, you know, through legislation and work with the Colorado Bowhunters Association, things like that, we're able to use lighted knocks on the end of our arrow. And to me, it's a tool. That lighted knock is a tool that allows me to see my arrow flight. It allows me to see my exact arrow impact. It allows me to have a better chance of knowing whether I can go after that animal right away or if I need to give it time, all these different things. And I look at trail cameras the same way. I look at them as a tool. Um, I'm a public land bow hunter. So in Colorado, for instance, like you said, Christian, you know, you know me, um, you know, a lot of places where I hunt elk. I'm, I'm pushing six, seven, eight miles in. I train religiously year round. I, I run ultra marathons. I do all these different things just for the purpose of being the best that I can be, the best bow hunter that I can be when I'm in the woods. And so for me, when I'm knowing that, I mean, I'm giving every ounce of everything that I have, I want to, it goes back to me for knowing that I want every tool at my advantage and for a tool to sit out there and capture images of wildlife to me to give me intel so that i can be make a better informed decision about going in and harvesting that animal which is every hunter's goal right we want to go in we want to harvest the animal we want to harvest it cleanly we want to fill our freezers um and i you know that that's that's the goal so if there's a tool out there that's going to make me more efficient as a hunter I don't see where it's I don't see where it's pushing the threshold of really of of crossing of crossing any lines as far as like, man, is this is this fair chase or is this, you know, is this ethical or anything like that? Because you guys, I mean, I can see one thing that I want to say that I'm I'm super pumped about to a degree is I can see that several of you guys have deer horns, mounts, something like that in the background, <laughs> because uh, I, I know that I'm speaking to. You know, I'm probably speaking to actual hunters, guys that really love wildlife, that love hunting. You know, I, I, I know that uh, Stuart, a little while ago, I said something about Colorado's Wildlife Commission. I saw you shaking your head up and down. And and I, our Wildlife Commission right now, guys, is not like that. So I'm, I'm really terrified. Our governor is able to just appoint our Wildlife Commission. And the things that we're going to see coming down the pike in Colorado are going to be mind-blowing. This is going to be mind-blowing. And so I revert all things back to that too, in terms of like, there's been discussion in Colorado of, well, tree stand, using a tree stand to be elevated above game is not ethical. That's something that's being in a tree stand elevated above game is non-ethical. And that's going, that's because something's going to go to our commission. And so what if all of a sudden now, well, well, trail cameras went away. Well, tree stands can go away. Tree stands aren't ethical. Trail stands where, where I don't think it's so much about where I draw that line. I think it's about where wildlife commissions have hunters and guys that are savvy and in the, in the know of these things to, to sit there and go, you know, this is, you know, and I know it goes, there's lots of politics as, as people have said, and I understand that. But for me, the issue just becomes, um, I want to use a trail camera on public land to one. I want to, I want to be able to scout from afar. If I, if I want to drive out, I feel like if I want to take a trip and drive out to Delaware, 
or Kansas or Oklahoma or Texas or anywhere I want to go because I've drawn a tag there and I'm going to commit myself to going in there and hunting. If I want to go out there in the summer and put up a trail camera and do some, you know, get some images, get some for one, it's fun. I love it. Two, it helps me, you know, it helps me be better out there, I feel like. Um, so I just don't see where it's crossing a whole lot of lines. I mean, you still have to have very good woodsmanship and all those things, obviously, just because a deer walked by, just because you had a Boone and Crockett deer walk by your camera. I mean, how many times have I gotten a Boone and Crockett deer on my camera and never got another picture of him again, ever? And and so it's like, where 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 do we draw the line as well? That's that's a super big advantage or it's not a super big advantage. I look at it more as a tool. And as a bow hunter, I want all the tools that I can have in my toolbox to help me be as successful as I can in the woods. And then I, again, of course, worry about those issues of legislation and what's coming next. You know, to me, it's just like one more thing has fallen. Another thing's fallen. And then pretty soon it's just a tier, a tier effect where it's like, boom, 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 boom. Anti-hunters or people that don't, you know, have more of a voice than the hunting voice. And then pretty soon it seems like we're going to cater everything to this direction. And I worry a lot about my kids. I worry about the heritage. I worry about the tradition. I mean, there's, there's just a lot there. Yeah. And, and if I could, Jace, I'd like to, I mean, there's, you made a lot of good points and, and um, I don't disagree with you on that. The counter argument to some of what you said too was, you know, and, and again, go back to Kansas, you know, we have such limited public lands. We have all these different people packing in on these public lands and in differing views and conflicts and, user conflicts and so we have to try to take all that into account and we're every year we get something new that comes to us saying hey we want to use this new piece of equipment or this is now a hot item on the market we want to be able to use it on public lands and you know over time it seems like we have made a lot of we've allowed a lot of things and every one of those has been to the advantage of the hunter and never to the resource to the animal and so that that's the counter argument too and I guess one one point I wanted to make too with this, with our trail cam decision, I, you know, during that process of it being workshopped and and uh, finally coming to a vote, is I didn't feel like we were getting the public input that I wanted. So, without throwing them under the bus, um, we do consult with the Kansas chapter of backcountry hunters and anglers a lot. Great group of people, um, not just for trail cam regs, but any any regulation that that we're proposing recommending we we include them because they've been very active with us and when we don't get the public participation and input they've been a great source and and, and I, i'm not trying to throw them under the bus one way or the other here they, they're a great group and i love working with them um, but they um they weren't unanimous in how they felt about trail cameras either but the, their majority and their final stance was they supported the ban on public lands um but I get what you're saying too, and in, in in regards to to scouting, you know, it used to be on our public properties, non-residents would call our, our wildlife area managers and say, "Hey, I'm an avid bow hunter, and by the way, I am a huge avid bow hunter. I spend not enough time in the tree every fall because of this job. I, I wish I could, but I'm diehard bow hunter, and so is Jason. Um, and I'm I promise, Jason, I'm going to be quiet here, and I'll give you some time to talk too. Um, and so, you know, I guess. That's kind of gone out the window where, where non-residents would call our managers and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a diehard guy. I, I don't mind getting far from the road, point me in good directions. And our staff are really good about that, and they still do. Um, now that this prohibition is in place, I encourage people to still do that. With the mapping systems that are out there, you can you can e-scout and then call our staff and say, hey, okay, I'm seeing this on the on the map. What do you think? So that's still available. I just wanted to throw that out there. But I appreciate your stance, Jace, because I I do own a little bit of private ground. I'm third generation on my ranch, but it's very small. So I hunt a lot of public land, too. And and so I, I understand your sentiments, too. So I'm going to be quiet and let Jason or the rest of you talk, too. So. Yeah. Well, why don't we do this? We'll give Jason a chance to kick this off since he hasn't said anything yet he's been saving up all his thoughts but i wanted to talk about enforcement and penalties so jason 
I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to trans, I'm going to speak from Pennsylvania. Like Jay said, you know, he's from Colorado. I know some wardens here in Pennsylvania. I'm sure that in Kansas and in Delaware, it's a similar situation. You have a relatively small force of enforcement personnel to cover a big territory, you know, maybe an entire county or a district that's even bigger than that. And these folks have lots of things that come on their plate every day. You know, anything from a deer, com uh, you know, a wounded deer on the side of the road or a bear complaint to some drug activity taking place on public lands and whatever. I mean, they're they're all strapped out to the max. And I just wonder from an enforcement standpoint, you know, how exactly Oh, will you enforce this? And what kind of feedback did you get from your wardens? Because surely you had somebody from your enforcement bureaus involved in all this discussion. And it's like, yeah, I mean, a, a warden can just grab cameras off trees if he sees them there on public land. But how you're going to track people down? And I know human nature. And, you know, I'm thinking even as we're talking about these regulations, there's going to be so many guys you know, somebody you I think you said it earlier, Robert, these things have gotten cheap enough that everyone can afford multiple of them. Heck, you can get good trail cameras for forty nine dollars. A lot of times now people are going to be like, that's like just taking my girlfriend out to dinner. I'll buy a few forty nine dollar trail cameras and I'm going to throw these up over there at the wildlife management area. And he ain't going to put a sticker with his name and phone number on it. You know, he's just going to put them out there. And if they're gone when he goes back, they're gone. And he's just going to add that into his cost of doing business. And how are you guys possibly going to, you know, run all these people down? Jason, I'll, I'll throw that to you. OK, great question. Uh, so. I did spend uh, six years as a park ranger um, and almost 10 years as a game warden. Um, so what the, the short answer would be is it's pretty darn hard to catch people doing things illegally. Um, whether it be, you know, somebody, you know, putting a trail camera on public land uh, versus somebody driving down the road uh, and shooting at a trophy buck on property they don't have permission to be on uh, out their window of their truck. Um, you know, I've always said that uh, that the the likelihood of illegality uh, increases exponentially with the size of the deer rack. Um, and so, you know, it never ceases to surprise me. Uh, you know, it could be the guy that you know, that everybody in town knows that, you know, is a poacher and, you know, it's no surprise, but you can also have somebody that could be a retired federal judge from another state that, you know, the temptation is just too great. Uh, you get those kind of folks too. Um, yes, we do have um, a pretty limited supply of uh, game wardens and, and wildlife officers on our public wildlife areas. Um, and it's, it is a challenge, uh, not only for just this specific topic, but for for every rule and regulation that they're tasked to enforce. Um, you just do the best you can. That's what I tell my guys, especially the new guys that I hire, you know, that, that get overwhelmed really easily uh, on the myriad of things that they have to know and, and train for. It's like, guys, you can't you can't do it all. You, you just do the best you can and you do your job and. Um, you know, I, I feel like most people are honest, you know, and so you do the best you can to try to identify and catch the bad actors who leave a black eye for, for all the rest of us that are trying to do it right. Um, so I guess that's my short answer on that topic. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Well, so where do you guys classify this in Kansas? This regulations in place now, is this considered you know, sort of a, a major or a minor violation in your pantheon of bad stuff you can do when you're hunting. And what's the penalty? Let's say I put up a camera on a on a walk-in hunting area and, and you're sitting in your your vehicle over there with your binoculars, and you're like, Christian, I just saw you throw that up there, man. You're a bad dude. You know, now you got to pay the price. Most of our most of our uh, Kansas uh, regulations are are Class C misdemeanors, um, and 
it varies uh, depending upon you know what what violation code you know they have um, they have violated. Um, you know we have set schedules depending on what county you're in. It can vary a little bit, um, but for a trail camera, you know, uh, you know, unlawful trail camera on public land, uh, depending on what county you're in and what what the fine schedule is that the judge sets. Uh, the fine could be, you know, probably anywhere from a couple hundred to maybe 400 bucks. Now, could somebody lose their license over that? Uh, I would say there would have to be multiple compounding offenses before that recommendation uh, was was offered up by a county attorney for a judge to rule on. Gotcha. And Robert, what would it be over in Delaware? Like, how do you guys handle your what's the penalty for violating this trail camera rule? So this would be what we call a wildlife area map rule violation. So it's one of our lower offenses. It's similar to class D or C misdemeanor. Uh, but I think the important thing to, to note is since it's a new for us, we'll probably do a lot of education before we start the regulation the first year. But, you know, the key here is that we're going to try to create a, a level playing field. And as Jay said, you know, if he's going to come to this area, he wants to make sure that he's, you know, able to do the same things everybody else is on that same area. So what we think is while there might be limited opportunities for our enforcement to remove a camera, but you can bet that other hunters are going to give us GPS coordinates of where a, a trail camera is. And between our enforcement staff and our area guys that manage those wildlife areas, we'll probably have to buy a bunch of bolt cutters and be removing the camera. So after a while of $49 being removed, repeated and repeated, we think we'll get down to where there won't be as many trail cameras on our wildlife area. That's yeah, that's the reality. Yeah. That's a good point. And, you know, you could even you talked about the education, at least, you know, the first year you could do like an amnesty thing that first year, too, where again, yeah, like if you you could put a little note on those trees, right, and be like, hey, you want your camera back, you can come to the park office and get it. But it's like it's a one time like get out of jail because we're going to have a conversation. This is a new rule that we have in place for this year. Here's your camera. Don't let me find it out there again, because if you do, you know, then we're going to not have such a nice conversation the next time. And and I'll say, too, I, that's the Kansas approach with any new regulation, you know. And luckily, we have officer discretion and all of our public land managers. Um, well, the majority of them are, are law enforcement certified. So it's a it's a combination of public land managers and game wardens enforcing these laws on our, on our public properties. So, you know. Yeah, great example, Christian. If if we come across somebody that really wasn't paying attention, hasn't been following any any social media, and had no clue that trail cams are now banned on public lands, that officer has a discretion to write him a warning, verbal warning, or whatever. But if it's somebody that we encounter that says, "Yeah, I know what's going on," and I, you know, to heck with your stupid law, then we have the discretion to write a hard copy and take him to court. So. Um, we, we're always trying to educate and we're not out here to be, you know, the bad guy. We want people to come out and have a good time and not, but discretion is a big thing. And and so I just wanted to make that comment for Kansas. Mark, I mean, we're getting to the end of our time. You usually sit back there in the weeds and take it all in. I'm sure you've got a couple of thoughts and, you know, why don't you jump in here and give us what you got? Well, I have to say, you know, when we heard about Delaware enacting a trail cam ban in public land, it really caught our attention. And so I'm assuming for both Kansas and Delaware, you know, we only have maybe four or six states in the country where we're starting to prohibit trail cams or have prohibited them. Do you see this as a growing trend as you were doing your research over this process of one to two years as how you were going to handle this? Did you become alerted to other states that are looking at something similar? Do you consider this as something might continue to grow over the years where you'll see other states start to enact these type of bans? So I'll mention for the Northeast states, since uh, you're both from Pennsylvania is my understanding. So we, I did contact all the 13 states that are in the Northeast. And um, I know some of the states are also looking at it. Uh, they brought up issues of cameras not being placed uh, for hunters, but placed shining in on the parking areas. They're watching a different wildlife activity. So that was something new for us that we didn't hear. But uh, the other states are considering this. And, and like I said, it, the, the 
the fact that the technology is getting so so uh, advanced and the price is going down, I think that's where states are starting to get more of a buying because you know your percentage of hunters is going to go from ten to twenty percent using them, and they're going to be using you know now a half dozen to a dozen cameras. So so it's going to get it's going to increase the volume, and I think you're going to going to see that pressure. And I'll I'll say too. Uh, Kansas is part of the Mid Midwest Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, and we have a specific public lands working group that we meet annually. And this, the trail cam conversation came up, what, Jason, five, eight years ago, that states were starting to see this. And, and so the discussion has been going on amongst this, this Midwest group for quite a while. Um, and so it goes back to kind of what Robert said, too. These states do talk about the always advancing technology and and again for kansas it goes back to you know we don't have some of these other states in the midwest group or have a lot more public land than kansas or in delaware do so they don't see the compounded issues like we do in the states where we have such minimal public land and those issues become more and more prevalent and compounded so yeah, with with the advancement in technology you know we used to have an early muzzleloader season where it was primitive you could only use primitive arms, and now we've allowed scoped um, inline rifles that can shoot 400 yards. We we crossbows could only be used by disabled and youth for a while. Now everybody can. So again, it's it's all these advancements in technology and equipment that, like I said earlier, has been to the benefit and the advantage of the hunter, but not to the resource. So that's the, that's what we're tasked with is trying to always take that into consideration as public agencies. <laughs> ah, well, you know what? It is a fascinating topic. And, you know, at one time, I, I would have never thought that you'd see uh, something like this happening. But the technology continues to eventually turn. You know, Pennsylvania has a ton of public land. And, you know, I never think that they might consider it. But, you know, who knows? We have millions of acres here. But one day it might be something we're talking about in the state here that Christian and I live in. But I want to take time to thank all of you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us and talk about this topic. And I'm sure it's something we're going to hear. Uh, about a lot more in the coming years. So thank you all so very much. Well, thanks for having us. And I'll have my contact and Jason's con contact information. Don't be afraid to reach out anytime to further the conversation or if we need to talk about non-consumptive users on public land in the future or whatever, I'd be glad to talk to you about any anything. You guys are awesome. I, I Speaking from, you know, like I said, everything through me is coming from someone not involved in the wildlife you know, commission portion or X game warden or anything like that. Um, but uh, I, I just appreciate you guys taking the time to come on too. I mean, I, I know that's, I mean, and just for, for, for everything that you guys do, I mean, you guys, all three of you are pleased. You can come to Colorado and you can relieve, you can relieve our current wildlife commission. I do. Maybe, maybe some of them will <laughs> this and they'll go. I'll I, it or something horrible when they hear this, but I really am kind of to the point where when you don't have any hunters on your wildlife commission and people that don't understand wildlife making decisions for that wildlife, like like Stuart said, the resource, that becomes an issue <laughs> real quick. The, pro the problem is, Jace, if, if that happened, Jason would never get anything done. Keith. He'd be chasing elk with a bow in hand in Colorado all the time. True. Yeah, and there'll be there'll be one more elk for him to chase because Jace, you're about fixing to get yourself banned out there, man. Talking that way, I know. I, I it won't be <laughs> it won't be long. I'm probably already on the radar, man. <laughs> well, listen, guys. It, yeah, it was really really great conversation. Like, I mean, we we just killed an hour, and you know, we could have spent two or three hours just talking about this and, and days and days on, on some of those other topics. You were, you were all great guests. Yeah. We ought to get these guys back sometime, Mark, you know, you got all their contact information. Like you said, let's put these guys in the old, uh, you know, speed dial and, and use them as resources from time to time because they're good folks. Uh, really appreciate it. And actually, as we close, just thought it was funny because the whole time we were having this conversation, this is my trail camera collection, and I've got this out. There's probably over a dozen of them in there. And uh, this weekend, I'll be heading to my deer hunting spots here. And, and it's funny, Jace, because you talked about the borderlands. There's one farm about 15 minutes from the house here with, where I have permission to hunt, but it backs up right up against a small a section of state game land. So 
I've got some public and private in sort of the one area that I hunt. And so imagine, you know, if Pennsylvania had a rule like this and I could put cameras up on the, the privately owned farm, but but not on the it's a it's a crazy world. It's an ever changing world out there for us as as bow hunters. And uh, it's just interesting to see where it's all going. We've been evolving since we've been running animals off cliffs. <laughs> yeah, and, and, the, and the water hole is still a great place to wait for prey. You know what I mean? That's, that's still never is. gonna change. <laughs> all right, guys, hey, thank you so much. Have, a, have an awesome, awesome day. Thank, thanks all, thanks to everyone. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.